Happy Easter, everyone. We are so glad you made it. Uh, my name's Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, myself with my wife, Grace, and some incredible elders and leaders, we have the privilege of serving and leading this church. And we are all about Jesus, so this is kind of like the Super Bowl for us. We are just stoked uh, to be here with you, uh, both celebrating and song, but also learning the scriptures together. Um, so today is about more than an excuse to eat candy in the shape of a bunny. Today is what we would describe as the most important event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, uh, yes, we can whoop that. That's all right. Um, so uh, you probably knew that already as you walked in the doors today, that that would sort of be like the main point of today's talk. So good, good job. That was a good guess. Uh, but for the women who visited the garden tomb where Jesus was buried on that first Easter morning, this was completely unexpected and not at all what they um, were expecting. They were overcome at the, at the time. They are overcome by, by grief and by sorrow and by fear. But then in an instant, ev everything changed. They were surprised by hope which is the title of today's message. And I want to um, read the scripture and explain to you what, what I mean. So would you please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word? Awesome. Thank you so much. And today um, for the reading of scripture, we have my friend Alex. And Alex is going to be reading Luke 24 in his native Ukrainian language. Yeah, amen to that. And the reason why we're doing this, of course, is because it's important we remember that the family of God is way bigger than this chapel. And it's also important that you and I stand in solidarity with our sisters and brothers across the world who are praying for a miracle of God's peace. And so let's join in together as, as, as we read the scripture and as the scripture goes out, it, obviously it's crazy powerful. So take us away, brother. Good morning. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. All right, you can have a seat. All right, so uh, I want you to leave here today with three things. First, uh, what did the women encounter at that tomb of Jesus on that early Easter morning that changed everything for them and set the world on fire within a, a matter of weeks? So whether you are a Christian or not, the events of this day shaped the world as we know it 
worship, art, science, culture, ethics, civics, justice, philosophy, and just about every pillar of what we call community was informed and influenced by this story. Then we're going to talk about us. Uh, Was their experience, the women at the tomb that morning, was their experience of being changed only for them? And is accumulation and recreation all that we have to hope in and all that we have? Like our cultural story tells us. Or can we live with that same resilient category-defying hope today that defined the lives of these women? And then finally, we'll end by busting the myth that Christian hope is just a vague optimism about a life after death. We actually have a living hope that does not disappoint both now and for the future. So let's start by just uh, talking about the women's reaction to the empty tomb. Verse 1 again says this. uh, Very early in the morning, the women, uh, yes, thank you. The very very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. So when the women left their homes that morning, hope was the last emotion that they expected to feel. Based on what they knew at the moment, their situation was hopeless. The king that they had backed, the one that they had been following and believed would lead them into a bright future was killed right in front of them by his rivals. This was a devastating moment. It was only like a short period of time, just a couple of days between Good Friday, the murder of Jesus, and early Sunday morning. So this was a moment of profound grief profound grief. They had lost a man that they loved. And I know that for many of you, you can relate to this excruciating pain that's caused when you, when you lose somebody who, who you love. That in and of itself is a tragedy. But it wasn't just that Jesus died, it was how he died. He was tortured. He was stripped of his dignity, stripped of his humanity. He was spat on in his final moments. So this was tragic. But there there was a third dimension to their grief because Jesus was also their future. See, they had fallen in love both with Jesus, the person, but also Jesus and his vision for life in the kingdom of God. So when Jesus was gone, they were aimless. They had completely lost their way. Their life plan had blown up. And was in shambles. And so they're forced to face the brutal reality that they have been following a failed Messiah. Now, we're living in a moment today where our culture has lost its way. One of my areas of study and interest is the mental health crisis. And there was a time, uh, we're living in this time where it used to be that the, the global pandemic was the biggest thing that we had to worry about. The biggest risk to our health was catching the virus. But now we're dealing with the fallout of living two years in isolation. And on top of that, you also have like the culture wars and failed leadership at every level and now an actual war in the Ukraine. My heart goes out to you because we've been through a lot recently. Last week, I read an article that um, recommended that you screen your kids for anxiety, depression at age seven because rates are skyrocketing. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting you do that. It's not my area of expertise. I'm a pastor and not a counselor. But the lack of hope sweeping our society is evidence that we don't have the right vision in our culture. Think about it. Our cultural narrative is do what makes you happy. 
but it's producing a generation of people who are over-anxious and deeply unhappy. That is a fact that we can look at from sociological data, and it represents a failed vision. So we need a different vision. We need a different leader who can offer us more than our influencers do. Because quite frankly, what um, pop culture is able to offer you just will not cut it over a lifetime. And this is the same kind of sorrow and doubt that the women at Jesus' tomb were experiencing before they uh, got the, the revelation that Jesus was alive. So what, what now? That's the moment that we find ourselves in. That's the moment that the women found themselves in on early Sunday morning. What now? So let's keep reading. Verse 2 says that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the Lord. Okay, so what would you do in, in this scenario? You've completely um, lost your way. You're at rock bottom. You lost your friends. You do not know what to do next. And then suddenly all of this incredible, like supernatural stuff begins to happen all around you. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And two angels show up dressed in lightning, apparently. So these are not like the uh, angels from Renaissance art, like chubby naked babies with wings attached to them. Like these angels that appear to these women, they are warrior-like. So if you're the women in, in our story today, they fell on their faces in, in fear. They were afraid. They were afraid because they had no idea what's happening and they had no idea um, what was going to happen to them. So um, which this got me thinking about us today. Because research shows that we like to think that we make our decisions based on reason and logic. But in actuality, most of the time, or a lot of the time, we make our decisions, we're being motivated by fear. We're afraid of missing out. We're afraid of what other people think. We're afraid of financial insecurity. We're afraid of losing something or someone who's important to us. For example, I'm afraid of public speaking. No joke. Every Sunday morning when I wake up and get ready to come here, my heart is like beating out of my chest. You might say to yourself, that's a strange job choice, man. Like, why do you do this to yourself? Because it's also awesome, and I love it. So the, so the reality is uh, we would like to think that we're not controlled by fear. We don't want to be controlled by fear, but the reality is many times in life we are. But the story of the gospel is that the story is not over. See, the, the women, their, their, their grief and their fear is in an instant flipped around and turned into hope. And here's why. It comes down to what the angel said. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Jesus is alive. That's what we're celebrating at Easter. And let's not gloss over that because the resurrection is a crazy claim, a crazy claim. If history and biology have taught us anything, it's that dead people stay dead, right? That's what we know from history and biology. And if you followed Jesus for any length of time, you have to wrestle with this tension. You, you can't avoid it because the, the resurrection is at the center of the gospel. So dead people stay dead. But yet somehow Jesus was crucified and he is now alive again. 
That's the Christian claim. So how can we be sure of this? Well, number one, the scriptures teach it like all over the place. Number two, historians almost universally accept that the tomb was empty. So Christian, non-Christian historians from the first century virtually all agree that the tomb was empty. Now, if the tomb were not empty, it would be so easy to prove because uh, the city of Jerusalem was smaller geographically than the city of Sisters. I was thinking about you guys, the, the Rundle family. It's, can you believe that? Like Jerusalem's smaller than Sisters. It would have taken the authorities like 12 seconds uh, to prove that they were lying if they were lying about the empty tomb. Number three, um, all of the eyewitnesses, and I mean all of the eyewitnesses, were willing to die by public execution rather than take back what they had said about seeing Jesus alive. So, in other words, if everyone had been lying or hallucinating about seeing Jesus alive and being resurrected, at least one of them would have admitted it in order to escape death in their final moments. But no one did, historically. There were hundreds of people who witnessed Jesus alive after Good Friday, and they all were willing to go to their death for that claim. And the fourth is the um, testimony of a guy named Paul. Paul, if you've uh, been around Riverbend long, you know we're actually studying one of his letters right now, the letter to the Galatians. And Paul was an anti-Jesus terrorist who then later became a believer. And the reason that he gives for becoming a believer is because he saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes. And so he went to write this letter to the Corinthians, and in it he says, man, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. He's saying this is at the center of what we believe. So when Jesus conquered death, the women's grief and fear became a thing of the past. I love what Tim Keller writes. He says that the happy ending of the resurrection is so enormous that it swallows up even the sorrow of the cross. Don't you love that? Amen. So the women are surprised by hope because they are, again, the first ones to see Jesus alive. And what they couldn't have imagined just an hour ago, now they will never be persuaded otherwise. And not only that, but they're also honored as like key figures in the moment, or excuse me, in the movement that changed the world through resurrection power. In the short years following Jesus' resurrection, the church of Jesus exploded across the, the, the first Israel and then the Roman world. And these women were like very important catalytic figures in that story and how the gospel spread. So it's incredible. It's amazing. But what about us, right? What about you and me? Can we live into this kind of hope today? Or as, are we, as, as I suggested at the beginning, destined to just kind of live our American dream accumulating more and recreating ourselves into oblivion, essentially? Or is there more to life than that? I love Isaiah prophesying about Jesus 700 years before the resurrection. He says, he will swallow up death for all time and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Amen. So in other words, the resurrection is not just amazing history. It is amazing history. It's not just amazing history. The point from Isaiah is that the work of the Messiah is, will bring good news that will cause great joy for all people of all time. So here's why I believe you can walk out of here today with resurrection hope. Here's how um, and here's why the resurrection of Jesus brings you hope. Number one, it proves that Jesus is king after all. 
So it it turns out that the cross was not actually a defeat, although that's what it first looked like. And still to this day, if you look back at first century history and you look at what crucifixion was all about, it was all about dehumanizing humans who were on the cross and killing them um, over a slow period of time. This was a dehumanizing act. But in Jesus' case, it was not a defeat after all. It was a victory that no one could see coming. They didn't know to look for it. Jesus is not a failed Messiah. He's actually being enthroned on his cross as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the epicenter, if you will, of of the whole gospel. That God has become king through the most unexpected and startling way imaginable. He gave his life to rescue and to save his enemies. That's the epicenter of the gospel. So he's proving his victory as he walks out of his grave on Easter morning. That's the proof of Jesus' victory. And this directly affects you in so many ways. I'm going to just give you the top three. Um, But if we had several more hours before your Easter brunch and the Easter egg hunt that you're doing a little bit later, I would give you all of them. But let's just talk about the top three. Number one, when you trust in Jesus, you receive forgiveness of sin. See, we have all rebelled against God. We've all made bad choices. See, people in our time wonder about the problem of evil. And the problem of evil is often used as a reason that people give to not believe in God at all. Um, In fact, as we do Alpha, which we do um, a couple of times each year where we invite skeptics, cynics, de-churched, unchristian people to kind of explore the Christian faith with us, this is one of the primary questions that people have is, well, what about all the evil that we see in the world? And that's all true and a conversation for another time. But the unsettling reality of the problem is not only that evil exists, but evil exists in me. Like even on my best day, I'm still contributing to chaos in the world. A harsh word, a mean-spirited thought, a reckless decision that hurts people I love. And those are just like the church acceptable sins that we're like able to talk about. They're for being real with ourselves. There's way more to our brokenness. And Jesus' cross and resurrection tells the story that even on my worst day, that Christ died for me. Not because I loved him or because I was getting my act together or anything like that. It's actually quite the opposite. Is while I was still a sinner, in spite of everything, he loved me and died for me. And it's through his sacrificial death where my sins are actually paid for and wiped away. Um, On Friday, this past Good Friday, we had our very first Good Friday gathering, which was this whole art installation. Um, And it was really great. Thank you so much for coming out. It was a really beautiful time. One of the things that you were invited to do was to nail your sin or to nail the thing that you need Jesus to take from you onto a scorched cross. And there's so much symbolism there, but the idea that we're going for, and we're so glad that you interpreted it this way and went for it, was that the things that you need God to take away from you, he is happy to do. And those things are taken care of and done away with and completely finished because of the cross. And this is our hope. This is our hope. Next, uh, when you trust in Jesus, you have victory over evil. Oh, by the way, before I move on to that part, which is a really important point, so just put a, like a 
thumbtack in that for a second. Um, We still have a few of the pieces from Good Friday that we left out because um, we wanted you to be able to reflect even a bit more. So you'll see on the wall over there, we've got um, a painting that was painted live by my friend Nicola. Nicola, where you at, bud? Oh, you're right there. Hey, there's Nicola. Uh, Nicola painted that live. It was extremely moving to see that piece being done. And um, it's still kind of wet. We can't move it yet. Uh, But it's just a beautiful piece. And I recommend you go check that out. Also, the cross that I just referred to is in the back, along with some other like watercolor and just beautiful pieces of art. So please take a minute before you leave and just kind of take a moment to take it all in. So when you trust in Jesus, your sin is forgiven. When you trust in Jesus, you have victory over evil. See, the Bible tells this tragic story of squandered influence and authority. See, the Bible starts with God creating us uh, with rulership over the world so that everything in his creation could enjoy the goodness of God. That is God's original design and purpose is that we would all enjoy him and his goodness. But because we rebelled, we we surrendered that God-given authority that he had given us because he's good. And uh, then we became, in the language of the New Testament, we became enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, the corrupt evil powers that are at work in the world that conspire against your flourishing and conspire against the kingdom of God. According to the Bible, you have been held captive by sin, evil, death, brokenness. It's a tragic story, but because of Jesus, this is the whole point, because of Jesus, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer enslaved. Ephesians 2 depicts Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection as like this long-awaited cosmic battle where the powers of darkness are violently overthrown. That's the imagery of Ephesians chapter 2. But the way that he violently overthrows evil is through his sacrificial death and his mercy and his compassion and his meekness. That's how Jesus does it, which is floors me to this day, is just the beautiful paradox that's at the core of trusting and following after Jesus. Are you with me on that? This is beautiful. We have a God who's able to claim authority over all evil and darkness, but he doesn't do it through violence. He does it through self-sacrifice. That's, that is powerful. And that piece that Nicola painted is a beautiful depiction and reflection of that. Number three, when you trust in Jesus, you are accepted in the family of God. The deepest longing of the human heart, we, we hinted at this a minute ago. The deepest longing of the human heart is the answer to this question, who will love me? for me. In spite of everything, despite all of my flaws, all of my horrible decisions, all of my mistakes, but also my, me as like a whole person. Who will love me? Who will accept me and welcome me in? And who's my true family? This is what we long to know as humans. And you might find yourself today sort of with um, other questions that feel primary, and and that's okay. There's obviously lots of questions around coming to faith in Jesus, and so we invite you to explore all of them. But in my study and in just my experience, what's at the core of each and every person is a need to know that they are loved, that you are loved. And the story of the gospel is that you are. You are, despite everything, you are. And um, the cross and resurrection is like the definitive answer to that question. Jesus is the risen king, and he wants you as his own. He's actually jealous for you, as the Bible says. He died for you so that you could be adopted in to the royal family. And when you are adopted into the royal family, you, uh, 
inherit the kingdom of God. You have a rich inheritance. You're not like, you're a full-fledged member. You're not like on the fringe. You're not on the outside. You're not on the wait list. You're not in some weird probationary period to see if it all works out. You are a daughter. You are a son of God. And that is the whole point. Now, to illustrate, I love all of you. I'm like genuinely super happy that you're here and we love you. But my wife and my daughters and my son are everything to me. And that's exactly what God is saying about you. He has this jealous and unbending love for you that will never run out. And he is chasing after you through the cross and resurrection. Amen? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, um, I understand that for a lot of us, we wonder about this resurrection hope. It's clear to me that for many of you, this is like maybe the 30th or 40th, or maybe for my parents, like the 50th uh, Easter sermon that you guys have heard. Um, That wasn't a slam, by the way. (laughs) For a lot of us, we wonder about resurrection hope. Yeah, all of these truths about Jesus forgiving us is amazing. But this is what I wonder about, is doesn't that sort of basically equate to just like this vague optimism? about life after death. So you're saying, Andrew, that when you trust in Jesus, like this is the stuff that I'll need in order to, when I die, in order to access heaven. So we put the significance of the cross and resurrection way out from our present and we just can't help but view uh, resurrection in light of like getting into the good place when this life is over. So, In one sense, the answer to this question is, yes, it is important how you answer this question about Jesus. We will stand before God one day and we will give it an answer for how we responded to him. Is he king and Lord or not? And if he is king and Lord, then in the biblical paradigm, you are welcomed into eternity with him. But that is not all. Resurrection is way more than just a far-off utopian five-star resort in the clouds. Um, from Dante's Inferno or whatever. There's so much more to it than that. Look with me at Romans 5. We're almost done, if you were curious. Um, Romans 5 says, We celebrate in hope of the glory of God, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. That's a, has been poured out. It's happened, it continues to happen, and it continues into the future as well. His love has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These are, there's many promises in here that should get you to actually be like, oh, you know what? No, hope is not deferred. Hope is in the present and in the now. Hope that doesn't disappoint. The love of God has been poured out through the Spirit. This is a huge deal. So a cu- just a couple of brief things on this. First of all, resurrection is about the present as well as the future. So it's a big deal, lots of layers to this conversation. We don't have all the time for it today. Although if you're Bible nerd and you want to talk about it, come ask me afterwards and I promise you we'll have a great little geek out session on what all of this means. But let me illustrate resurrection in the now through the story of a guy named Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a 19th century lawyer turned preacher. So yeah, he was pretty popular. Lawyers and preachers are everyone's favorite to have around, right? Um, But he came to faith at 29, after years of hopelessness and and, and lack of purpose. And when he finally trusted in Jesus, he spent all day sort of just like blowing off work and crying out to God in the mountains of of upstate New York. So he, he would 
get along here in Central Oregon, I think. Blowing off work and hanging out in the mountains, that's kind of what we like to do here too. Just say I thought of you because you came from upstate New York. <laughs> Not saying you blow off work, I'm just saying. So, so he, 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 he's all day pouring out his heart to God in the mountains. And then he gets home and everyone in his life begins to notice a profound change in his countenance. There are stories of Finney insisting that everyone prays before dinner and everyone's initially kind of like rolling their eyes at him or whatever. Okay, fine. If you have to pray, I guess you can pray. But by the time he's done praying, the unbelievers, non-believing people at the table are reevaluating their whole lives and deciding to trust in Jesus after a simple prayer. And eventually Finney quits his law practice and he goes full time sharing his story of God's love through the gospel. And within a few years, the entire fabric of upstate New York is completely changed to the point where the court system actually ran out of criminals to prosecute and jails sat empty for years at a time. Like imagine that level of transformation. Can you imagine that? That's incredible that uh, discipleship to Jesus becomes so popular that crime comes to a grinding halt. I love that. Now, this is the kind of thing that we, you and I, we're praying for, for Central Oregon in the 21st century. We want to see this level of awakening to the gospel of Jesus. And we've been praying this for, for many, many years now. And we're beginning to see little cracks beginning to form in the secular vision. And the things that divide us from the spirit of God, the apathy, the cynicism, and uh, all of recreation and accumulation and all of that stuff. We believe cracks are beginning to form. And there is a, 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 a hunger that is beginning to rise in you and in us as a community to see the power of God. Um, oh man, this is my, this is my like soapbox right now. I'm going to, I'm going to put a, we'll come back to that next week, but we believe that God wants to move with power in our time. And so we pray and we uh, live out the way of Jesus as best we can in order to see that kingdom come. This kind of awakening is possible. Extremely unlikely to see like the Shoots County Jail empty and uh, uh, public defenders and attorneys out of work because there's no criminals to prosecute. I understand that's a very unlikely thing. But not more unlikely than Jesus coming out of the grave and Jesus uh, being alive again and inviting you into life. The greatest miracle that could have ever taken place has taken place. And so now that the kingdom of God is here, we have this resurrection hope just like burning inside of us and rising up in us. The kingdom of God is here. Lives are changed. Captives are set free. And maybe one day, no more jury duty. Just think about that. <laughs> right? If there's no crime, there's no jury duty. That sounds all right to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new's here. This is a present reality that has ongoing results. It's not just something that happens way out in your distant future. Which leads us to our final thought today. Uh, resurrection is about what God does through us, not just what he does for us. So obviously, the resurrection is about Jesus walking out of the grave and giving us new life in him. But in the same moment, the exact same moment, he's also completely restored our purpose. I started today by suggesting that your life is for more than accumulation and recreation, which is just kind of a play on what I see in our culture here in Central Oregon, where we just kind of have bought into the philosophy that more 
accumulation and more recreation is what makes us happy. Now, um, no one would obviously say that about their life. But if you just look objectively at our culture compared to other cultures in the world, America's built on consumption. This week, the richest person in the world offered to buy Twitter in cash. $43 billion. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Oh, my God. My version of splurging is like going out someplace nice on Friday night. And... (laughs) Elon Musk is plopping down for Twitter in cash. My first thought was, of course Elon would do that. It's such an Elon thing to do. Um, my se- I'm, I'm a fan of Tesla and everything and SpaceX and all that stuff. But my second thought was just like this wisdom from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. Not that material possessions and wealth cannot be leveraged and used for the kingdom of God. But the pursuit of these things are futile. And this is our cultural story. We're not billionaires, but we did come of age in a culture that says we'll be happy if we have more. Never enough. Never enough. Statistics show that almost every American believes that they need to make 5 or 10% more in order to be financially stable. That's just indicative of our we need more kind of mentality. I think that's rooted in a failed vision of secularism and consumption. We'll be happy if we have more, more money, more power, more sex, more whatever, fill in the blank. But the story of the gospel is that your highest potential, life to the full for you, is living into the story of the resurrection. Meaning, Jesus is alive. He's the king after all. He's given you new life after all. Not so that you can keep following in the same old, tired pattern of living for yourself and just getting more, but so that you can live by faith in Jesus and in service to his kingdom. Everything that we have, everything that we possess, every beat of our heart, every breath in our lungs is for him and for the kingdom. Jesus said, he who seeks to find his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He was saying that in route from Galilee to Jerusalem where he went to go take his cross. It had a literal meaning in their context, and I think it has a similar rich, deep meaning for us today. We give our lives in service to the gospel. That is your highest potential. It's a huge risk. You're gambling your life, but you're gambling your life on the claim of Jesus, and it's based on anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen, yeah? Come on. This is always difficult to end a sermon, for me anyways. Maybe for you it's easy, but for me it's hard. And so this week I was uh, praying and journaling about how to invite you into this life and how to invite you to respond with resolve, to follow him with all of your heart and to hold nothing back. And as I was like, honestly, just kind of agonizing over this moment, the one that we're in right now, I got this really cool text from my friend Ruby. So a little context on Ruby. Ruby kind of... For the first little bit, I knew her. She was really shy around me. I think she just kind of put up with the fact that I was friends with her parents, and so she had to kind of accept me as one of her friends too. But over time, we've developed a pretty cool friendship. And this week, as I was praying for this gathering, she sent me this amazing video. This is my Bible verse that I'm leading the school in in a few weeks. (laughs) I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and 
I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that the best? If you're not smiling right now, there's something wrong. We need to probably take you to the hospital or something. <laughs> oh, I love that. Isn't that the best? In case you didn't quite catch it all because of the cute factor, which I understand. That was a first century prayer for the church to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, to understand and to fully grasp the immeasurable and multidimensional love of God. You need the power of God to just grasp his love for you. And in the similar way to Romans chapter 5, he's saying the love of God is being poured out on you. This is your life now. Your life is now enjoying the immeasurable love of God. So in the hope that the resurrection hope begins to well up in you, it's because it's all possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through walking out of the grave on Sunday morning. And so we want to invite you into that hope today invite you to receive the love of Jesus today. And this is, of course, like a moment of conversion that, that maybe some of you are here today and you need to trust in Jesus. And, and we, you'll have that chance here in a second. But for others of you, maybe it's about redevoting yourself to a life following after him and following after Jesus. It's a day-by-day thing to abide in the love of God. And that's what we want to invite you into. Happy Easter, everybody. Come on. It's good. It's good stuff. So I have another friend. And uh, he's got a few years on Ruby, uh, which is not a slam. In fact, throughout the history of the world, um, experience and wisdom has been valued over youth and beauty. The fact that things have changed recently in Western culture is not a great sign, if you ask me. Uh, When you've lived a, a life, a full life, Um, after God, and when you've walked with him for decades, you begin to have something to say, and you begin to have something that's worth listening to. And so in the spirit of resurrection hope, I I invited a a friend of mine, like a very important person in in my life and story, who helped like form the foundations of what this church has become. And I asked him to share with you a testimony of his resurrection hope. So will you guys please join me in welcoming my mentor, Phil Comer. And as he comes up here, will you please uh, just stand to your feet as we close our time together. Hey, Phil. Hey, I love you. I love you. I love this guy. I hope you do too. Yeah. I was once young like you. Anyway. Uh, I've just sensed your joy. Uh, You know, we were here at the earlier service, and it was packed out. We had to set up extra chairs, and they were waking up. (laughs) But as soon as you walked in here, your smiles and your laughter, your response is so beautiful. I know so many of you uh, could stand up here yourself and just talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And and, uh, But Andrew asked me, I think because as I look out here, I'm probably the oldest person here. <laughs> Although a couple of you, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Andrew's parents are here and they could also testify. I think it's been like 50 years or so since uh, I came to know Jesus. And basically, uh, we had you stand so you don't have to be worried, worried that I'm going to go long. Okay? Because <laughs> I know lunch is coming. 
But uh, he asked me, just as an older man, to just say, hey, what you've heard today, it's true, it's real. There's no better way to live. I like to call following Jesus the greatest adventure. Hmm. And it breaks my heart to see so many people just saying, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but I, I got things I want to do. And you're just charting out on your own course and blazing your own trail. And, uh, and maybe you'll experience some good things along the way, some heartaches as well, but you'll miss out on what could be what Jesus called life that is truly life. I started crying on the last one. I said I wasn't going to do that. But anyway, so I'm just here to, to testify. Uh, my wife is down here. We've been married 43 years now. And Jesus changed her life when she was 15, changed my life when I was 19. And I was playing in a band. I had no clue who Jesus was. And somebody came to me and shared what you just heard today. And it changed my eternal destiny, changed my life forever. I, I don't think I probably would be dead. I don't know what would have happened to me if I'd kept going down my own path, doing the rock band thing. But instead, he changed my life, brought Diane into my life, has given us four kids who are now raising their kids to follow Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, don't waste your life. Yeah. Don't waste your life. Follow him, whatever that means. Just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And this hope that he preached about today, it's real. There's nothing like it. You know, we think of the word hope in our cultures. I hope I get that job. I, I hope she asks, she says yes when I ask her out. I hope I don't get COVID like with our fingers crossed. <laughs> but Andrew can testify the, the word in the Bible, hope, it means confident expectation. It's like a solid belief. And I just want to say to you, because Jesus rose from the grave, I have hope. I have a confident expectation that my past sins are forgiven. Go to that cross on your way out. I, I was here Friday night. I wrote down the shame, the guilt, the immorality, the things he saved me from, and I nailed them to the cross. And I thanked him again that nearly 50 years ago, he took it all away. This, the guilt, the shame, the burden it was lifted. My past sins are, have been forgiven. But because Jesus rose from the grave, as Andrew shared, um, he's with me in my present difficulties. And this anxiety thing is going crazy. And so maybe you're a mom and your kids are experiencing anxiety. You can sit down with them and say, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yeah. And maybe you're here and you're confused. You're not sure which way to go. Well, he's the way, the truth, and the life. If you're saying, I'm just kind of down, I'm kind of depressed. Well, he gives joy, real joy. And the hope that he is alive is there. But it's not just my past. It's not just my present. My greatest hope as an older man is that a glorious future awaits me. Yeah. And you too. Yeah. I remember as a new Christian hearing people say, you know, Jesus, come. And honestly, I know you're supposed to say that as a Christian. But I was like, but I want to get married. <laughs> and I, I want to do. And, you know, I'm thinking I don't want to miss out. You know, yeah. FOMO. Before it was yeah. FOMO, I had it, right? Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? I understand that. And if that's you, it's just normal. It's real. But hey, there is nothing that you're going to miss if the Lord comes back tomorrow. Yeah. The older I get, I'm saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. And you will never look back and say, well, I'm glad he came, but I really wanted to do that. No, yeah. you'll be saying, you won't even remember. You'll be saying, Lord, I'm so glad I followed you. Don't waste your life. Live your life as if Jesus is coming tonight, tomorrow, so that when he comes... You don't have to say, oh, Lord, I didn't know you were coming or I would have got my life together. Instead, you're saying, Lord, I've been looking for you all along. I can tell most of you here today, you're, you're following him. And I just want to say there's no greater life. Don't stop. Get more passionate. Get more committed. 
show more faith, say more prayers, not my will but yours be done, you will never, ever, ever regret it. But if you have yet to actually make that decision, it is a moment in time. It's a process, but there's a moment where you say, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be king of my own life. I'm going to ask Jesus yeah. to take control. And what better day than today to yeah. do that? If you never have, you will never, ever regret it. Amen. Well, we want to invite you into that now. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, this is a moment in time that we just want to encourage you to not let go by without giving your life to him. If the story about Jesus and him coming alive to you rings true in your heart and you feel that hope welling up in you. This is your moment. And we just want to invite you to close your eyes. Let's all hold out our hands in a posture of receiving. And we're going to pray over you. As, as you do, just um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Your sin has been taken from you, nailed on the cross. You are no longer a slave. You've been adopted in. And you are a son are a daughter in good standing with the king and you have a rich inheritance that's coming he's made you a part of his family this is what he's um, inviting you into and so the way that we answer God is by faith by trusting like Phil said it's a moment in time where you put your trust you put your hope in Jesus so if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to put your hands nice and high in the air so that we can pray over you. If you're saying, yes, I am ready to trust and to follow after Jesus, this is your moment. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah. We give our lives to you, Jesus. Coming to Jesus is such a simple thing. A child can understand. We saw Ruby quoting scripture as a young girl. The scripture simply says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Lord, thank you so much for making it so clear. Thank you that you left heaven, you left the presence of your Father and the angels and came to live the life we could never live. You came seeking and saving those who were lost like me and lost like all of us here. And you rescued us, Lord. It was the greatest rescue operation ever. And you saved us from ourselves and from our sin and gave us new life, put our feet on a solid rock. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are alive today. And Lord, every Easter day we have from here on out, we want to praise you and sing to you and glorify you until the greatest worship celebration ever when we see you face to face. Father, we love you. May you receive our praise now, and may we follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys, we're going to respond now. The way we respond is, is in worship. So we just want to encourage you, just like the angels came down and said, Jesus is alive, that is the song of heaven that's ringing out um, in the presence of God right now, and we get to join in that song of heaven. So sing aloud, sing praise to King Jesus, and also during this time, we're going to come forward to receive the bread and the cup. Right here at the front of the stage, we have the communion elements. Once you come forward during the next time, grab that, go back to your seat, and then after the song's over, uh, we will take communion as a church. Um, but let's give him what we own. Let's praise him with our mouths and with our whole hearts. <laughs> 